0: What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to Two Footed Podcast. It is Tuesday, the 11th of May, and we're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, Keep your data safe online. Check out libertyshield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, we wake up today to the news that Fulham have been relegated and deservingly so. Beaten 2-0 at home last night by Sean Dyches Burnley. Never really in doubt. Burnley went one up on 35. Ashley Westwood after great work by Vidra. Really good work by Vidra. Great run off the blind side of a defender. Gets the ball inside the penalty area. Beats the defender in close quarters. Slips it across the goal. And Westwood arriving from midfield with a tidy finish. Chris Wood made it 2-0 on 44. Tried a trick. Didn't work out. Ball landed to Westwood, played it back to Wood. Great finish from just on the edge of the penalty area into the top corner, gave Ariola no chance. And that was all she wrote. Fulham had more of the ball. You'd always expect a team to have more of the ball against Burnley, but only mustered three shots on target in the whole game. Burnley had five. Burnley were the better team. Sean Dyche, it was child's play against Scotty Tuccoats. No issue for Dyche at all. Football is an unpredictable game. That's one of the things we all love about it. But something that is predictable is Sean Dyche keeping Burnley in the Premier League. And I think it's worth looking at how well he's done this season. Now, admittedly, Burnley have only taken 39 points this season. They have been in a relegation mix for most of the year. But factor in that Burnley were decimated by injuries early in the season. Factor in that last summer, having finished in, in the top half, Dyche was given 500 grand to spend and very low wages. And the only player he could get in was Dale Stevens. Into January, no money available, has to just keep on going. Nick Pope has missed three games, Jack Cork, very important midfield player for them, he's missed 22 games, Ben Mee has missed seven games, Goodmanson has missed 16 games, Brownhill missed five, Wood missed five, Ashley Barnes, now he's been on the bench of late, but he missed games, Robbie Brady's missed much of the season. The fact that Dyche has been continually able to perform with this team. and Charlie Taylor's another one. He's missed nearly 10 games. not Nine games, I think. Could be 10. But the fact that Dyche, with such a small squad, with such a lack of quality outside his first 11. Like Pope, Loughton, Tarkovsky, me and Taylor, Brownhill. Goodmanson's probably a starter when he's fit. So, say, Goodmanson, Westwood, Cork, McNeil, Wood plus one. After that, Vidra and Barnes are good. Brownhill is good. Brady's decent. You really are struggling. You really are struggling after that to name Premier League caliber players in the Burnley squad. And yet every season, Dyche overperforms. Look at the teams going down. Fulham went all out in the summer, brought in a bunch of players. West Brom brought in a bunch of players, spent quite a bit of money in the summer, brought in players on loan in January. Sheffield United spent £60 They finished above Burnley last season. Newcastle spent quite a bit of money. Southampton spent some, not a huge amount. And yet Burnley just keep trucking away. Don't spend any money. Doesn't matter to Dyche. Just continues to overperform. They'll be, you know, somewhere between 13th and 16th in the league, you'd imagine, by the end of the season. For him to do this year on year, is truly incredible what he does with that club and how he manages that club is one of the best jobs anyone is doing anywhere in european football and you can have issue with how the team play that's fine but this is the longest serving manager in the premier league right now he's been at burnley 9 years and his win percentage Won't stagger anybody, hovers around 37%. But he's had them promoted twice, only suffered one relegation, had two top-half finishes, all without ever really spending large amounts of money that weren't generated by sales. Compare and contrast. Scotty two coats handed a mid-table squad takes them down. If Sean Dyche had that Fulham squad, that's top half, no problem. Wrapped up by now, not even in question. Parker took them down. The excuses have come out for Parker. Oh, we got no preseason. Nobody got a preseason. Oh, but newly promoted leads. Leeds are top half There's no excuse Sam Allardyce has done better At West Brom For the last four months Than Scott Parker has done At Fulham With less talent Leeds have I would say About even Of a squad To Fulham Ariola's a better goalkeeper than Melier. I would absolutely take Ola, a- Ola Aena over um, Luke Ayling. I think Anthony Robinson's better than Alioski at left-back. Anderson is the best centre-back between the two clubs. Loriente would be second. Calvin Phillips would absolutely be in midfield, along with Zambo and Gisa. You'd have Rafinha. You'd have Adam Ola-Luckman. Bamford, for sure, would be the nine. But I think that other midfield player would be Lamina. I would take Lamina over Glish, or Glick, however you say his name. I think he's a better player than him. So for me, if I'm looking at those two teams, I've got Loriente, Phillips, Bamford and Rafinha are the only Leeds players that would get in the Fulham eleven. Now, Harrison's very good. Leeds might have a bit more depth, but it's not like Fulham don't have depth. Fulham have a tremendous squad. If you look through... Who's, who's available for them this season? Ariola is an an excellent goalkeeper. Kenny Tete is a good right back. Michael Hector is not a Premier League caliber player. He's all right as a squad player. Dennis Adoy is terrible. Anderson's excellent. Kevin McDonald hasn't played. Mitrovic is a good player. Kearney's been injured, but he's still a good player, and he was there for half the season. Um, Tim Ream is dreadful. De Cordova Reed is quality. Loftus Cheek is quality. Tosin is quality, Cavalieros quality, Lamina is quality Luckman is quality, Harrison Reid's good Joe Bryan's a championship player Josh Onham is a very good young player and yet he wasn't registered for the first half of the season, Josh Madge is a good player, Zambo is fantastic uh, Anthony Robinson is very very good, is, is very good and Ola Aena, Ola Aena is very very good, Terence Congro's missed all, all season but he's a good player as well there's so much talent in that Fulham squad and Parker has taken them down. And they will now lose Ariola, Anderson, Loftus-Cheek, Lamina, Luckman, Maja, and Iena. All of them will leave now because they were in on loan. Now it's a massive rebuild for Fulham. I don't think people fully realize how costly this rebuild, is go- this relegation is going to be. They're going to lose seven players. Five of whom, Ariola, Anderson, Lamina, Luckman, and Iena, were starters. Madja should have been a starter, but for whatever reason, Parker didn't put him in the team every week. Loftus-Cheek had a disappointing season. He hasn't looked the same player since the Achilles tear, but I would put that down to bad management as well. He has been used in strange ways. If you gave Sean Dyche that squad, There's no doubt to me they'd finish top half. Absolutely no doubt to me they'd finish top half. Just look at what he's working with at Burnley. It it doesn't compare. That's such a talented group of players. It takes a truly dreadful manager to bring them down. And that's what Scott Parker has done. He did really well last year to get them promoted. But he has been absolutely shocking this year. And he needs to ditch the two coats thing because he just looks ridiculous. So apologies to Fulham fans. You deserve better. The players deserve better. But the championship is calling for you. And it's time for you to return. Another season in the Premier League for Burnley. A great achievement for Daish and Co. Hopefully this summer we'll see them spend a bit of money. They could definitely do with spending a bit of money. Um, They need reinforcements They need squad depth and a couple of starters But the big thing for them Will be keeping Dyche Because he's going to have offers He's probably going to have an offer from Newcastle I'd imagine Palace will be interested If West Brom are ambitious And want to spend money and want to come back up He could could get a call there If Nuno leaves Wolves They could look at him If Villa wanted to make a change, I don't think they will, but he'd be an option there. Sean Dyche will have offers this summer. And if he goes, Burnley will go to the championship. Burnley will go to the championship. They're not going to get anybody close to the calibre of Sean Dyche to replace him. So their big priority has got to be keeping him and keeping him happy. To do that, they're probably going to have to spend some money. So it's time for these new owners to put their hands in their pockets. Like I said, football is unpredictable, but one thing you can predict is that Sean Dyche will keep Burnley in the Premier League. He's too good a manager. He's too good at using his resources, as, as minimal as they may be. He does a tremendous job at the smallest club in the Premier League. And once again, he's kept them up. We have football Swinging back into action tonight. Uh, Manchester United take on Leicester. In a second versus third battle. That should be a good game. Kicking off at 6pm. It's going to be interesting to see. Just how strong a team. Both managers field. A lot of people are saying. Oh. Ollie won't pick a strong squad. And he, he likely will rest some. But I think. Rodgers is going to rest some as well. Leicester have an FA Cup final coming up on Saturday. Brendan wants that silverware. Brendan needs that silverware in many ways. He needs a trophy in England to legitimize himself. He doesn't have one yet. I think, I think we'll see both teams play weakened squads. I could see a draw in this game. United have more firepower. Burnley, obviously, or Leicester, obviously missing a couple of players. Looks like Johnny Evans is out. Barnes is out. James Justin is out. I'd be surprised if Vardy plays. I'd be, he might not have an option, but I'd be surprised if Nacho plays. He he might start and then come off on 60, 65, but I think he'll want them fit for the cup final because they're going to need them against Chelsea. They really are going to need them against Chelsea. That game will have a massive uh, say in the top four this season. If Leicester win, they go nine points clear of Liverpool. Liverpool will have two games in hand, but Liverpool will then need to win out and hope that Leicester lose one of their final games. Liverpool would need to win their last four and hope that Leicester lose one of their final two games, Chelsea or Tottenham. If United win, then it opens things up for Liverpool. Then they're six points behind with those two two games in hand. If they win out, it doesn't really matter what Leicester do. They should end up with a better goal difference than them. And they they will overtake them on on goal difference, if nothing else. It's hard to see Leicester winning away to Chelsea. Now, coming off the back of the FA Cup, it will just depend on whether Chelsea are fully engaged in the league match. I think they probably will be. I think they'll still be pushing to secure their own top-four finish. Uh, They play tomorrow night against Arsenal. Now, a win there, that probably puts it to bed for, for Chelsea, so maybe they can rest players against Leicester. But I still think... Those are going to be two really tough games for Leicester. And then on the final day of the season, you just don't know what's going to happen. As bad as Spurs can be, they still have Harry Kane and Youngman's son, So they can still tear apart any team on their day. Um, the other game tonight is Southampton versus Crystal Palace, a game that now has nothing on the line. If Fulham had won last night, you would have imagined Southampton would have started to feel quite a bit of pressure, given that they're the team now in 17th. And if Fulham had got the 30 points with three games left, it is Southampton and Brighton that would have been in trouble, along with Burnley, obviously. But Burnley are clear, Fulham are down, Southampton have nothing to play for. Other than Pride, they have been atrocious since early January, beat Liverpool, and shocking ever since. Absolutely shocking ever since. But this is a game that they can win. Crystal Palace are mid-table, comfortable, safe, nothing to play for. This is a game that Hampton really do need to focus in on. They, they need to get points on the board, if for no other reason than self-respect. You can't have the run they've had. And then think that it'll all just wash away in the summer. You just can't. I know Leicester last season had a dreadful run and kind of washed it off. But that's a different situation. Look at the Leicester squad. Look at the Southampton squad. Um. So, look, the the United-Leicester game, there is something on the line. That should be a good game. Well worth your time. I don't really know Southampton Palace will be much of a watch. Uh, If Southampton play like they have recently, it definitely won't. Because Palace, other than when Eze is on form, they're just an assault on the eyes. Even Wilf Zaha can't save a lot of the football they play. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville just being wrong all the time. Right, welcome back. So, last night on Monday Night Football, Carragher and Neville did their end-of-season awards, Premier League awards, and they got all of them wrong, and their teams of the year were baffling. So, we're going to correct them and point out who should have won these awards. So, we'll start off with signing of the season. Start off with the the least important. Signing of the season. Neville went for Edinson Cavani. He said that there was big pressure on United when they signed Cavani. And that if it hadn't worked, people would have said, oh, it's just another Falco. But it has worked, so it's all great. Now, it has worked to an extent. It has worked of late. But for quite a big portion of the season, it, it didn't work. And it didn't work to the extent that he wasn't even getting a game. So it has worked of late, but it, it hasn't worked all season long. He's only scored nine Premier League goals. He's only started 11 Premier League games. 23 appearances in, all, in, in the Premier League. 35 in all competitions, 15 goals. We knew... Cavani coming in, he was going to score goals because that's what he does. You look back at his Napoli days, all through his time at PSG, Bar last season when he dealt with a lot of injuries, Edinson Cavani scores goals. But at times this season, he has failed to offer anything else. At times this season, he's looked a bit disinterested, a little bit downhearted. He hasn't offered much in terms of build-up play. It's not really his game. He is more of a poacher, more of a, you know, more of a goal scorer. He is the type that misses quite a few chances, and and we've seen that this season, but he has incredible instincts. His penalty box instincts are as good as anyone that we've seen over the last 20 years. It has worked as a signing because it was a free transfer. If United had paid 15 million, I don't think we'd be saying as resolutely that it has worked. But given the circumstances, given his age, given who he's managed by, it has worked. However, in no way is he the signing of the season. Carragher went for Thomas Suchek. Thomas Suchek played for West Ham last season. so. That should rule him out entirely. He was signed on loan with an, ob- uh, an, op- uh, an option or an obligation to buy. So they knew from the minute they got him, they were keeping him. Unless he was a disaster. So he shouldn't count as a signing for this season. It's a little bit ridiculous to include him for this season. He has been excellent. There's absolutely no doubt he has been excellent this season. But he has not been the signing of the season. There's a West Ham player who's more deserving of being tagged as the signing of the season. He's from the same country. He came from the same club as Suchek in Vladimir Sufal who signed for 5 million has played almost every game since arriving and has been excellent all season long. As good as Sutek doesn't have the goals, but defensively he's been really good going forward. He's been excellent. He's been really important to that West Ham team. Comfortable in a back three as a wing back or a back four as a more traditional full back, he has been excellent this season. And you would be hard pressed to find a better signing than him. So he is who I would go with as the signing of the season. Five million, and West Ham have bought a tremendous right back, a key player in them vaulting up the table and being Champions League contenders for $5 So we'll go with him. Now, Carragher and Neville double down on the daftness of their picks a little bit later. But the next one is young player of the season. Now, they go for Phil Foden. Foden is incredible. He's a fantastic football player. He is one of the most enjoyable players to watch in the Premier League. He's so much fun. He is absolutely a generational talent, gifted beyond belief. And it's incredible to think that him and Sancho were in the same youth team. Like, imagine having those two players in the same youth team. That level of ability, The, the future of English football together in one youth team. But Phil Foden is not the young player of the year. Mason Mount is the young player of the year. Foden has gaudy stats. He scored 14 goals in all competitions. In domestic football, he's got 11 goals. But consider for a moment how many minutes he's played. Like, for me, you have to be playing a heavy amount of your team's minutes over the course of the season to be deserving of such an award. Phil Foden has played less than 1,500 Premier League minutes. Less than 1,500. He's played about 15 full games worth of minutes. Just over. About 15 and a half full games worth of minutes. So that, to me, rules him out straight away. I think it's very clear that Mason Mount has been the best young player this year. Now, he's a little bit older than Foden, obviously. He is 22, but he's still eligible for Young Player of the Year. In the Premier League, he's played 2,600 minutes. He's played nearly 1,200 minutes more than Phil Foden. In domestic football, he's got seven goals and seven assists, while playing much deeper than Philfo. When Lampard was manager, Mason Mount was holding that Chelsea team together, largely by himself. As all the big-name players stumbled and stuttered and failed to adapt to the Premier League quickly, Mason Mount turned up week after week after week. Big goals, big assists, big performances. Under Thomas Tuchel, his performances, I believe, have actually dipped ever so slightly because Tuchel is using him in different positions. But that also highlights how versatile he is. And the fact that Tuchel seems to want him in the team pretty much every single game if he can. Plays him in a midfield two, in a midfield three, plays him in the front three, plays him as a 10, plays him wide on the right, wide on the left. Mount just does his job, gets on with it, and puts in good performances. Mason Mount won't be a superstar. Phil Foden will be a superstar. But Mason Mount this season, unquestionably the young player of the year. Unquestionably the young player of the year. The only one who runs him close is Bukayo Saka of Arsenal. Five goals and four assists, 2,400 minutes played in the Premier League. Left-back, left-wing, right-wing, or as a 10, wherever he has been asked to play, he has done the business for Arsenal. In a very bleak season for Arsenal, he is one of the very few things that Arsenal fans can cling to in terms of how their future looks. Him, Emile Smith-Rowe, some of the other young players. But he is the only one to have done this for more than a season now. He's younger than Phil Fulton, and yet has been completely overlooked by Neville. So, they, Neville and Carragher, they can say... Oh, well, we, Mount was, is, was older than we were looking at. Well, Saka is younger than Foden and has been better this season and more consistent and played a thousand more minutes. So I think Phil Foden is going to be a superstar. I think City will build their next great team around him. I think England will build a team around him, Sancho and Saka. I think if you're managing the England team for the next decade, you're looking at those three and thinking, that is my three behind whoever my striker is. I'll have Bellingham and Rice in midfield, Mount in rotation with them, and then I've got this group with the likes of Hudson-Odoi, if he continues to develop, and other players such as that, Mason Greenwood. Mason Greenwood maybe is your nine, Rashford could be your nine, depending on what happens with him over the next couple of years, but I mean, Saka could be your left-back. If, if you just want to get him in the team, Saka can play left-back. You can play Rashford left-wing if you want, um, Sancho right-wing, Greenwood up front, Foden as the 10, Saka and Trent as your wing-backs, Bellingham and Rice. Centre-back isn't any issue. Well, goalkeeper as well, but in terms of outfield players, centre-back isn't any issue for England, looking long-term. But Mason Mount, young player of the year, not even debatable. Manager of the year. They went for Pep Guardiola. Now, he's obviously having a very good season. His team are winning the league. Uh, they won the league cup. They're in the Champions League final. But the Champions League final doesn't factor into this. This is a, these are domestic awards. These are Premier League awards. Neville said he would have he would go for Tuchel if Chelsea win the Champions League again. Gary, it's the Premier League awards you're looking at. So winning the Champions League is completely irrelevant. And Thomas Tuchel didn't arrive until January. Late January at that. So they've gone for Pep. And neither of them could really give a good reason other than they've won the league and they're in the Champions League final. So take the Champions League final out. They've won the league. Fair enough. They finished second last year, won the league two previous seasons. Has he done a better job this season than he did the two seasons they won the league before? No, he has not. Has he done a better job than last season? He has, but there is the mitigating factor that Liverpool have been decimated by injuries. City were expected to win the league this season. At the very least, they were expected to finish second. West Ham were expected to battle relegation. They're fifth. Leeds were expected to battle relegation because that's what newly promoted teams do. Marcelo Bielsa has them 10th. They mentioned Brendan Rodgers, an incredible job he's done. They could well finish 5th. They might finish 6th. Is it really a great achievement for Leicester with that squad that they have to get top 4 this season with Liverpool in a mess, Tottenham in a mess, Arsenal in a mess? I'm not sure it is. If Leicester get fourth, they will have beaten out West Ham, who were meant to get relegated. West Ham finishing fifth or sixth is a far greater achievement for Moyes than Leicester finishing fourth is for Rodgers. Squads, expectations, reputations. Brendan Rodgers was brought to get them top four. That squad is a top four squad. West Ham's isn't. West Ham's isn't close to a top-four squad. But yet, there's only five points between the two teams. There'd be two points if West Ham hadn't bottled it at the weekend. West Ham would actually be fourth if they hadn't turned in back-to-back stinkers against Everton and Newcastle. So, uh, Rodgers has done a, a very good job this season. It's not an incredible job, He's fulfilling the expectations and given the circumstances, it's the minimum requirement to get top four given what's happened to Liverpool, what's happened to Tottenham and what's happening at Arsenal. If Leicester believe that they're the seventh club in the big six, then when you take three of them out, as we've seen this season, they should be the one that automatically steps in. But nobody, nobody expected West Ham 35 games into the season to be sitting fifth. Nobody expected Leeds to be 10th. David Moyes is the manager of the year. Bielsa is second. And I would argue Dyche is third, given what he's done at Burnley. Giving it to the manager who wins the title is fine if they're not expected to win the title. Like when Leicester won the title great Claudio Ranieri deserved it but City expect to win the title every year internally they expect to win the title every year externally we all expect them to challenge every year and this season the only team that could have matched them got ruined by injuries so they've had no competition they're literally competing with themselves David Moyes is the manager of the year. Player of the season, the Chuckle Brothers went for Ruben Diaz. Now, if Ruben Diaz is your player of the season, shouldn't he also be your signing of the season? If he's, in your view, the best player in the league this year, and he's a new signing, doesn't that automatically make him the signing of the season? Regardless, he's not the player of the year. He hasn't been City's player of the year. Ilkay Gundigan has been City's best player. Kevin De Bruyne has been City's best player, second best player. Then there's a gap. Then it's Diaz. Diaz has been very good. Don't get me wrong. He has been very good. But in 17 18, when City won the league at a canter, they had a great defence. A great defence. You're looking at a team that conceded 27 goals in 38 games. The following season, they win the title by a point from Liverpool. They conceded 23 goals. Now, last season, that defence dipped because Laporte got injured. And we heard it was purely because Laporte got injured. They still only conceded 35 goals. But they had 17 clean sheets. So it's not like they were bad defensively. They were just bad in certain games defensively. And that is ultimately what cost them. Now this season. They've conceded 26 goals. With three games left. So worse than their defense in 18-19. And just one goal better off than 1718 with three games left. So there hasn't been this incredible transformation defensively. This idea that he's had the same impact on City as Van Dyke did on Liverpool is nonsense. City were already a great defensive team. He just made them slightly better. And by the numbers, not better at all. They've won the league. They won the league twice before. Oh, but last season, yeah, but last season Laporte was injured. Now, like I say, Diaz is very good, but City were already a a great team. He's made them slightly better. He hasn't transformed them. This is not a transformational player. This is a, a very good player in a great team, surrounded by other very good players. You've got a 50 million right back in Kyle Walker, a 50 million left back in Benjamin Mendy, a 60 million full back in Joe Kinseo, a 50 million centre back in John Stones, a 55 million centre back in America Port, and a 40 million centre back in Nathan Aki. They are the co- players who most commonly play in defence. Zinchenko's the other one. He cost about 3 million, whatever. But they're the players that most commonly play in defence with Ruben Diaz. They've also got a £65 million holding midfielder in front of him. The backup to him cost £32 million a decade ago. With inflation, that's probably about £70 million now. They've got a guy who, at the time he was signed, was the world's most expensive goalkeeper behind them. Virgil van Dijk, on the other hand, his most common defensive partner's Joe Gomez, who cost $7 million from Charlton, Joel Matip signed on a free, it was debated in his first season whether him or Dejan Lovren would the better centre-back, which will tell you how he was viewed, despite people's efforts to rewrite history, Andy Robertson arrived from Hull basically in a swap for Kevin Stewart, having been relegated with Hull, Trent came through the academy, and that's it. They are Virgil van Dijk's defensive partners. Combined cost about £12 million. Now the goalkeeper is the second most expensive goalkeeper in the world, and that's fine, but he wasn't there for the first six months and van Dijk took Liverpool to a Champions League final with Laurie's Karius in goal. They've got Fabinho in defensive midfield. He cost £40 million, but he wasn't there for the first six months. And Van Dijk took Liverpool to a Champions League final. With with Jordan Henderson, not a defensive bone in his body, playing defensive midfield. James Milner starting in midfield. That's transformational. Taking that group, which also included Dejan Lovren, which was like carrying an anchor around, to take that group to a Champions League final, that's transformational. Take this City team? No. No. Especially when you factor in that there's no fans, which suits City. Their style of play doesn't require fans. They're a clinical team. They're surgical in their approach. This season has suited them. And as everybody has said, and it's not just me saying everybody has said all season long, there are going to be a big asterisk put next to everything for this season. Because it's a weird season. I hope City go on and win the Champions League. My stepfather is a City fan. I'd love to see him get to celebrate his team win a Champions League. I'm happy for City to win the title. If it's not us, I'd rather I'd rather be them than than United than Chelsea. The only team I'd rather see win it than City or Arsenal. Um, and obviously, obviously Liverpool. But you know, I. I don't have an issue with City at all. I think City are a great club with a core group of hardcore fans that have been there, seen it all. They saw League One, they saw the Championship. You know, they went through all the dark years. They deserve this success, so I don't have a problem with City or City fans. I have a problem with unnecessary hype. And Ilkay Gundogan has been City's best player this season. So if you're saying that the best player this season comes from City, it's Ilkay Gundogan. It's nobody else. It's Ilkay Gundogan. Now, I would argue Bruno Fernandes deserves strong consideration given the season he's had. I think he is very much worthy of a mention here because what he's done is absolutely ridiculous. All competitions, 27 goals, 17 assists. Like, that's ludicrous. Domestically, 18 goals, 12 assists. 17 and 11 in the Premier League. He's pushing Frank Lampard's best ever season. He's still got five games to go. Bruno has five games left. He's got the same amount of goals as Lampard had in his best season. He's one assist shy. He's already outstripped any Steven Gerrard season. You can argue with penalties. He's, he's got 13. Lampard took 11 in that great season of his in 9 10 So the penalties is not a reason to knock Bruno down. He has single-handedly carried this team for most of the season. He, he had a dip for a few weeks and they looked shaky. He's back playing well and they're back winning well. Um, I would still go Ilkay Gundogan as my player of the year I don't think any player has consistently played as well as him From September through If you go back and look at Ruben Diaz's first two months in the league He looked shaky He had positional issues His pace was been exposed He's adapted brilliantly, no question Carragher compared him to Carlos Puyol last night So the hyperbole was off the scale he may get there, but let's pump the brakes a little bit. He's had one season in the league. Um Ilke Gundigan is the footballer of the year for me. I, I don't think it's in doubt. I wouldn't be surprised if Bruno wins it, but it should, like Ilke Gundigan has just been the best player from September to now. So player of the year Gundigan, manager of the year Moys, young player Mason Mount, signing of the season, Vladimir Sufal. No question. Uh they also went on and picked their teams of the season. So Neville picked uh, Mendy, Edward Mendy, Kyle Walker, Ruben Diaz, Harry Maguire, which is a bizarre pick, Luke Shaw, Bruno Fernandes, Ilkay Gundigan, Kevin De Bruyne, Marcus Rashford, Harry Kane, and Phil Foden. Less than 16 full games all season. Phil Foden. Um, Carragher picked Emmy Martinez, Souffal, John Stones, Ruben Diaz, Luke Shaw, Bruno Fernandez, Angolo Kante, which is just ridiculous. Kevin De Bruyne, Youngmin Son, Harry Kane, and again, Phil Foden, less than 16 games played. So, clearly neither of these watch a whole bunch of football. These, these don't watch games other than what they've been paid to watch. Because there's no way you would argue that Ang- N- Angolo Kante deserves to be in the team of the year. If you did. There'd be no way you'd argue that Harry Maguire, Kyle Walker, or Marcus Rashford deserve to be in the team of the year. There's just no way at all. You wouldn't put Phil Foden in. Mendy shouldn't be in, but I don't really have an issue with the pick because there hasn't been a whole bunch of goalkeepers that have played well. But Emmy Martinez is absolutely the pick in goal. Absolutely the best goalkeeper this season. I would say Alisson Becker deserves mention purely on the basis of what he's played behind this season, but he has made some high-profile errors. So we'd leave him out. We will go Emmy Martinez as the goalkeeper. I'm not sure why they've gone 4-3-3. But I'm going to go with with a back three, a midfield four, and a front three. At the back, no problem at all with Luke Shaw, who made both of their teams. He has been very, very good for Manchester United all season long. Consistent performances. Can't argue with him. No problem with Ruben Diaz. Absolutely the best centre-back in the league. This season, no question, I'm not arguing that He's just not the player of the year But Maguire is a daft pick Walker is a daft pick Stones is a daft pick so I'll have no problem with I just, I'm just i going to leave him out and put in a midfielder sure. A lot of people have said Joe Canseo He had an iffy first couple of months Then he was brilliant And he's been bad now for about 6-7 weeks So I would leave him out Just based on consistency Esri Conza is in my team. Ezri Konza has been, after Diaz, the best centre-back in the league this season, he has carried Tyron Mings up and down the pitch. He has been making up for Tyron Mings' errors all season long. Mings is an abomination. The fact that Villa still have a relatively decent defensive record is down to Ezri Konza and Emi Martinez. Because Mings is is a 60-goal is a, a, a season. Defense. If you have Mings-level players, that's what you get. They've only conceded 41. It's still too many, but it's because Martinez and Konza have been excellent this season. That's my back three. Ezri Konza, Ruben Diaz, Luke Shaw. Bruno Fernandes, absolutely in. Kevin De Bruyne, absolutely in. Ilkay Gundigan, absolutely in. My fourth midfielder, Mason Mount is worth mentioning. He has been excellent all season. Rodri is worth mention. He has been excellent all season. But I'm going to go for Fabinho. Now, admittedly, he played much of the season at centre-back. But remember that when he did, he was being partnered by championship-level players. And Liverpool were top of the league because of how well he was playing. Through to Christmas, there was no better centre-back in the league. None. Fabinho was the best centre-back in the league up until Christmas. Since going back into midfield, Liverpool's record speaks for itself. When he and Thiago start, they've played 4 won 4 as the two of them in midfield. Fabinho has to be in this team. He has been brilliant all season long. Quietly brilliant all season long. Under the radar. Doesn't get the plaudits he deserves. He's the best holding midfield player in the league. He was the best emergency centre-back the league has seen in years. That, his, his run of form from the start of the season... The Chelsea away game, he put Timo Werner in his pocket. And he continued to pocket defenders, all or attackers rather, all the way up until Christmas time. And then it fell apart because Liverpool just suffered too many injuries. But Fabinho makes it for me. So I'm going Fabinho at the base of a defensive diamond. Gundogan and De Bruyne. Bruno. And then my front three. I don't know how anyone can argue that Mo Salah isn't deserving of a place. I really don't. I really don't get how you could argue that Salah, who domestically has 23 goals and four assists this season, wouldn't be in your team of the year. In a dreadful Liverpool team, he is carrying them from an attacking sense. Firmino has been poor for two seasons now. Mane has been dreadful since October. Jota had a good run, hasn't been the same since coming back from injury. Salah scores all the time and carries this team. Mo Salah, absolutely in the team of the year. Harry Kane absolutely has to be in. 21 goals and 13 assists in the Premier League. Also got a goal in the um, EFL Cup, a goal in the FA Cup. So 23 and 13 in domestic competition. You have to have Harry Kane in. And I'm going to go Heung-Min Son because he has been tremendous this season. Domestically, 18 goals and 14 assists. Think about that. 18 goals and 14 assists next to a guy with 23 and 13. Imagine where Spurs would be without the two of those. So that's my front three. Mo Salah, Harry Kane, Youngman's son. I've seen people argue for Grealish. So far, he's missed 13 games. He was terrible for a month before he got injured. There's no debate for Jack Grealish. I'm sorry, he hasn't played enough. If you're arguing for Jack Grealish and you're not arguing for James Justin in defence, you haven't been watching enough football this season. But that's my team of the year. Emmy Martinez, Ezri Konsa, Ruben Diaz, Luke Shaw, Fabinho, Bruno Fernandes, Ilkay Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne, Mo Salah, Harry Kane, Youngman's son. It's harsh on Thomas Suchek. He is the player that I tried the hardest to put in. And I I did strongly consider putting Fabinho as one of my back three and putting Suchek in. Suchek has been brilliant this season for West Ham. Absolutely brilliant. And if you were to argue that he goes in over whoever, fine. I don't have a problem with Suchek being in. He's the one I, I did have the hardest time leaving out. But it wasn't hard to leave out Grealish. It wasn't hard to leave out Canseo wasn't hard to leave out Foden or Kante. Kante was terrible for four months. The odd game he'd turn up, otherwise he'd disappear. So there's no argument for him. Um, But for them too to leave out Salah is just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Going to quickly rattle through the gossip and then we're out of here. Manchester United no longer view Borussia Dortmund's English winger Jaden sancho as a priority partly because of the emergence of mason greenwood that is from the manchester evening news the times however say that their priority is to sign sancho after the club put plans to buy a striker this summer on hold by signing edinson cavani now they're clearly focused on center back defensive midfield champions league football likely means they won't spend ridiculous money i don't think they'll get sancho uh, Sancho has decided to return to England this summer and Chelsea along with Manchester United are interested in signing him, according to Build. Now, according to Sancho, he hasn't made a decision and he's very happy with Dortmund. So, who are you going to believe? Um, West Ham's financial uncertainty means they may not be able to turn Jesse Lingard's loan into a permanent deal. United should, should do Jesse Lingard the favour and, and sell him for a reasonable price, not ask for stupid money. He... He's 28. He's given that club 15 years of service. Let the lad leave. Let him go play. He's very happy with West Ham. He's playing the best football we've seen from him in four or five years. Let the lad leave. Um, Bernard Leno and Hector Bellerin are among six players Arsenal will put up for sale this summer. That is the first sensible Arsenal thing I have read in weeks. And it's followed up with this. Arsenal's top top transfer target this summer is Eduardo Camavinga, who plays for Rennes. That would be a brilliant signing. That is great ambition from Arsenal. I don't know if they'll get him. I think there'll be other clubs that will be able to outbid them and offer Champions League football and be more attractive. But Camavinga should be on the hit list for every club in Europe. He is incredible. The Gunners remain interested in Dennis Sicaria of Borussia Mönchengladbach. Very good player. Very, very good player. But... Him and Thomas Partey is quite redundant in midfield. You're getting a lot of overlap in terms of skill set. The agent of Aston Villa and England midfielder Jack Grealish says there are many clubs interested in signing the 25-year-old this summer. I'm sure there are, but none will pay the price that Villa want unless City gets silly. Um, And the fact that he'll be coming off a three-month injury, uh, I think he's staying put. Leicester have opened talks with Lille about Bubakari Samari. He's a tremendous young midfielder. He'd be a great addition. You put him into the midfield mix with Tielemans and Didi, Maddison, Dennis Prayet. That is that would be a great signing for them, a, a tremendous signing for them. AC Milan want to sign for Caio tomorrow. I'm bored of this one. They've been wanting to sign him all season. They have him on loan with an option to buy. If you want to sign him, take up the option. Signing a Ford remains Barcelona's priority this summer with Erling Haaland the ideal candidate and Sergio Aguero another option so we're either going to spend 150 million or get a guy on a free they're getting the guy on the free because they don't have 150 million they're trying to let their fans down easy Tottenham plan to sell Davinson Sanchez this season probably for the best probably for the best good young defender hasn't developed properly at Spurs Maybe a new manager comes in and, and gets more from him, but it's been a bit of a disappointment. They're probably going to lose some money. They paid $40 million to get him. If they can get twenty five back, that's probably about the best they can do. Chris Wilder is on a short list of potential new managers at West Brom if Sam Allardyce leaves. Makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. Knows how to get promoted out of the championship. Obviously plays good football. Yeah, Chris, Chris Wilder should be on the short list of most championship clubs who are changing manager. Newcastle want to sign Joe Willock in a permanent deal this summer after he is impressed on loan. Again, makes sense. He's been really good for them. While all the praise went to Lingard, I think Willock's been almost as good for, for, uh, for Newcastle. Scored big goals in big games. Helped keep them up. I think Arsenal would be foolish to sell him, but it's Arsenal, so they probably will be. Patrick Bamford extended his contract at Elland Road last summer under the radar. That was very clever by Leeds. Extend them before they come up Get him long-term. If he blew up this season, they'd have control of his his future. I would imagine he'll be back knocking on the door looking for improved terms after the season he's just had. But Bamford has been great this season. Another one unfortunate to miss out for Team of the Year. More deserving than some of those picked by Carragher and Neville. Um, But you couldn't pick him over Harry Kane. Stuart Dallas, just while I'm on the topic of Leeds, also deserving of a mention. Purely consistency versatility, what he's done for the team, the sacrifice he makes, just worth a mention. But Bamford, great for Leeds to get him locked in. Uh, he's been brilliant this season. Newcastle, Crystal Palace, Fulham and Watford have all watched Gael Kakuta, uh, the former Chelsea winger. Uh, he is currently on loan at, at Lenn from Amiens. He is a talented player who never became the player he should have been. He's the one that caused Chelsea a lot of problems back in the year where they broke some transfer rules to sign him, and got a a ban at the time. And finally, Wolverhampton Wanderers and Watford are interested in signing Senegal striker Mbaye Diagne. The 29-year-old is currently on loan at West Brom from Galatasaray. I didn't realize he was 29. I thought he was younger. If I was Wolves, I'd rather keep William Jose. But for Watford, he could be a clever signing. They'll need to get more firepower. They could do it. That big presence up front coming up into the Premier League. Uh, I believe he's available for about $8 I saw the other day. So that's not a bad price at all. Um, That's it then. That is the show. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you to Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville for consistently being wrong and providing me with content. Uh, Thank you to Guy Drinkle and thank you to Fox for the music. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Network.